and they have their little Buddha gods there, and it's amazing. You go in there, and they always have three little cups in front of them, and one cup's full of uh, tea leaves, another cup's full of rice, another cup's full of sugar. Something for their God to drink, something for their God to eat, and something to make it sweet with. And every single day, they have to get up and feed their God. Wow. <laughs> oh, by the way, if you have an idol in your life, you have to feed it. Amen. Yeah, every day, you've got to feed that thing. Yes, sir. But can I tell you this morning, I woke up and I asked the Lord, would you give me this day my daily bread? And the God that created heaven and earth fed me. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't deserve it, but thank God he provides our every need. Can you give him glory? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good spirit of God in this house tonight. Appreciate what the Lord's been doing this week. Amen. It's, as pastors already said, it's hard to believe we're already here on Wednesday night. Just just flying right by and the man said it's a vapor. Well, he was absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. There was an elder gentleman we used to preach for there in South Florida. He's retired now. We'd walk in the house and he'd smile at us. And as soon as he'd smile at us, he'd say, he'd talk like he had to talk like that. And he'd say, it's over. It's over. It's all over. His wife would say, Denny, don't say that. He said, it's over. <laughs> as soon as it comes, it feels like it's over. He said, she said, we'll, go, we'll start our vacation. We'll go down the interstate. He'll look at a car and say, see that us? That's us coming back right there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we better redeem the time while we have the opportunity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can I say this? I, I really feel like there have been those that have been redeeming the opportunity the Lord's been putting before us. He's been dealing with us now in, in the midst of showing us things to come. He's also showing us things in our own lives. No doubt. I mean, what a glorious God that can remind us and reiterate through His Word what is to come and yet put a spotlight on what is already. And I don't know necessarily how the service may go tonight because I want to keep following the pattern here that we find here in 2 Timothy, but I believe if we'll look close enough, perhaps the Lord even has a word of wisdom for us. If we'll just follow in His ways. So 2 Timothy tonight, and we began there in verse number 5 of Monday night, having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. The antidote was this, turn away from that, such, from such turn away. We dealt, we dealt with how in the last days, churches would be sacrilegious. Last night, we picked it up in verse number four. We spoke about being heady and high-minded lovers of pleasure more than the lovers of God. And we said that in the last days, men will be selfish. Tonight, if we follow that biblical pattern... It puts us at the beginning of verse number 4. and Here's our text tonight in 2 Timothy 3 in verse number 4. Traitors. I didn't write the book. Traitors. It's an often overlooked earmark of the last days, but it's true nonetheless. Paul lets us know that one day we're going to wake up in a world where every institution, and it seems like every public leader, has broken trust in empty wells. Friend, that's not coming. That's here. And, and, and before I even start tonight, please don't get the idea, because there's people listening as well, this is not a 
left versus right. This is not a red team, blue team, because at the end of the day, it's all nauseating on our stomach. Friend, if one side had the answer, they would have already implemented it. The answer is from above. And the answer is coming back to God with heartfelt repentance. Can you say amen? amen? So if I could give us our third indicator of things to look for before the rapture and earmarks for the last day church, government will be seditious. Can I take my text tonight from Psalm 78? And we'll study the entire psalm, but we'll begin in verse number 1. And we'll read down to verse number 9. Psalm 78 this evening. Psalms 78, 78th, 78th chapter of the book of Psalms. If you're having trouble finding the book of Psalms, just go right to the middle of your Bible and, you know, peel it in two, and you're probably going to wind up in the book of Psalms. It's somewhere in the middle there. Psalm 78 and verse number 1, God's Word, it reads like this. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of our Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He hath established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which, is, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Seems a little repetitive, doesn't it? That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who shall arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God. Not gold, not government, but God. And forget not, not, rather not forget the works of God, but keep his commandment. Verse number eight, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And verse number nine reads like this, and the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Father, I ask you for your mind, your will, your wisdom, your word, your way. God, not, not simply an anointing that would make it easy, but oh God, an anointing that would make it effective. I pray, God, let your word go forth. It will not return void. In Jesus' name, God, take every thought, bring it into captivity to the very obedience of Christ. And for this, we give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' holy name, we do pray. And everybody in God's house said amen. amen. <coughs> Maybe a little more of on the teaching side tonight, and I hope that's okay. But I remind you again, beloved, the prophecy was this, that right before the coming of the Lord, you're going to wake up in a world whose nations, whose leaders, whose people, who are in authority, the Bible, not Zane, not your pastor, the Bible describes as traitors, treacherous, traitor. By definition, here's the definition, a person who betrays friend, country, and principle. Here is the conditions that we sometimes overlook, but nevertheless it is before us. And, it, and listen, can I just say this? I, 
I'm not for any violence whatsoever. And I know this goes all across the world, and I, I'm not, I would never call for violence in the least. But I did hear one man say it like this, and I thought it kind of, you know, he's kind of got a point. He said, it's been a long time since we've tarred and feathered any politicians, and it's beginning to show. Hallelujah. Amen. Now that's just, that's a side note. Okay. You know, you would think with all, with all of the news media coverage of, of corruption and, and insurrections and, and, and all of the evils that are in our land today, you, you would think just with all that that's just flooded the market with these words that, 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 that treason would, would have been something that's probably pretty prevalent in the United States of America. Well, while I was putting this together and studying over it and, and, and musing over it, I just decided to take a quick uh, check on Google if you even believe in Google's results. So let let me just put an asterisk beside that. And I just asked, when's the last time any American had ever been found guilty of treason? And I'm thinking, well, good night. Was it a year ago? Was it two years ago? Wrong. The year was 1952. The last time any American has ever been found guilty of treason. Now, others have been tried. But as far as being found guilty, according to that search, and there again, if it ain't right, I'll ask George afterwards. I promise there's an alternative media out there to let me know, okay? That's right. Yeah, I know. He's coming. Down. Wait, I got, three, I got three guys right here, brother. That's just... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Supposedly, he was a Japanese-American, Tomoya Kawakita. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just, that's his name. That wasn't, that's just his name. Okay. Japanese man, and evidently he helped the Japanese in 1952. Now, I, I, I don't know, I, I honestly, I don't know if I believe that result or not. That's what it said. But I can believe God's word. And God's word lets us know in the last times will be treacherous days. And, and friend, can I tell you, this is not just something that's happening in the United States of America. Now on a completely global scale, it doesn't matter if you're in Brazil, we could spend all night long talking about the corruption that's over there. Go north of us in Canada, friend. It's, I mean, it's no walk in the park up there. I we now live in a global society and friend nobody knows who to trust in a secular society friend hear me God's word is yea and amen and it prophesied to us that one day we're going to see this beloved now we're there I can't speak tonight for necessarily what's going on overseas but I can speak to us as an American okay because that's my country and oddly enough, I look at my kids and I go, this is not the land I grew up in. It is, but it's not. This is not the country I grew up in. It's a whole different society. The Bible gives us examples, beloved, of what happens to a country when it forgets God. And there's terrible results that follow. And as one man said, there's no such thing as an empty void in the spiritual realm. When God leaves, wicked spirits always fill that vacuum. And that's where we are today. But thank God, not only does God's Word tell us of the consequences, it also shows us a solution. And you say, well, this, this, these are dark days. I know. But can I remind you, beloved, God loves to work in dark days. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not prophesying yay or nay, but I can say this. If we will call upon the name of the Lord, He is able to steal sin revival. You say, brother, this is how widespread will that revival be? I don't know. I can't give you that answer. But I do pray, God, let it begin in me. Let it start in me. Let it begin in my family. Let it begin in my church. Let it begin in my community. And I don't know how far it will spread, but I do know God is able. As a nation, we've got to understand, beloved, our roots 
so that we might not only know our rights, but yea, our responsibilities. I'm concerned. I'm concerned today about the church today, and I mean that. And I'm not pointing a bony finger at any one in particular church, Amen. but I'm talking about the church as a whole. And when I'm saying the church, can I just kind of narrow it down a little bit? I'm not talking about a nominal religion. I'm not talking about some Eastern Orthodox. I'm talking about the people that I know, the people that I love. Let me just ask you a question, and I mean this across the fruited plain, not in one church, but as, as a total of our movement. What is Pentecost going to look like in another 15 years if we keep going the direction that we're going? Exactly. What are our altar calls going to look like? I said this last year. I'll say it again. I have, this, I have this great concern, Brother Sanders, that one day I'm going to tell my grandkids, back in my day, we had five-minute altar calls. And they look at me, they go, Grandpa, are you serious? Those were the good old days in Pentecost. We came... We prayed for probably four or five minutes, and then we all sat back down. Wow. wow. I can't even imagine. You know why I say that? Because there's grandparents uh, that I looked at, and they said, boy, back in my day, we did. But all of a sudden, there's just kind of this trajectory. So it's not just what I'm seeing now. It's what, I, what I'm seeing in the times to come. Amen. What, what, are, what are our altar calls going to look like? What are our churches going to look like? What is our worship going to look like? Beloved, hear me. We've got to leave a legacy and a godly legacy at that, not only for our children, but to the Lord Terry, for our children's children. Children, we're so, we're so concerned about what we're going to leave for our kids in America. We never think about what we leave in our kids. What are you leaving for the kids? Let me ask you a better question. What are you leaving in the kids? What do you, great God heaven. What are you putting inside of them? What are you putting inside of them that money can't buy and death can't take away? What are you putting inside of them? Friend, America's new God is gold. And all they're trying to do is leave something for them. No wonder they're hollow on the inside. We've left nothing inside of them. And mercy, can I even say it this way? I've, I've I've known people in our churches... And they're so concerned about leaving something for their kids. And I'm not against any type of life insurance policy. I'm certainly not preaching against that. But here's the problem. They left a chunk of money to four drug head kids that in six weeks blew it on party and dope and never put one penny in the house of God. And friend, can I tell you, you've got to leave something more than for them. You've got to leave something in them. Can somebody give him praise? Now, the American dream that was placed into the bosom of our founding fathers, I believe, was put there by God Almighty. We spoke about it last year, but let me just quickly run through this again briefly, and there's so many more parallels. But I find it interesting that both Israel and America, when you add Levi back into the 12 tribes, now you've got 13 tribes over here, you have 13 colonies over here. Both have to cross a large body of water to find their promised land. And before we get hate mail, okay, I got a little Creek Indian in me. And don't let the blonde hair and blue eyes fool you. Erica's got a little Cherokee in her, and we probably all got a little bit Indian in us yeah. somewhere, right? So let me just say this, and nobody, nobody throw any tomahawks at me. <laughs> Both had to fight savage people to be able to claim that land. The parallels are very, very similar. And it's amazing how just as America goes down the same road, 
and accepts other gods, that we find ourselves accepting other curses as well. God had blessed Israel. He had delivered them from slavery. They had a land. They had law. They had a Lord. But they defiled that land. They denied that law. They defied the Lord. And the Lord sent judgment against them. And this is where our story, this is actually our song tonight, is a man by the name of Asaph. Because Asaph writes to us a song, and we call it a psalm, but it's a song that the man writes, and he shows us what will happen if we go down the same road. One old preacher said years ago, he said, we need an Asaph, Asaph. Hallelujah to God. Amen. Somebody needs to sing it again. Somebody needs to show it again. Somebody needs to talk about it again. Because this is where he starts in verse number four. He said, we will not hide this from their children. We will show to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. His strength, His wonderful works that He hath done. Talk about what the Lord has done for you. What do we need to do? Number one, we need to renew our or rather review our history. I said we need to review our history. Show them to the children and to the children to come, the things that the Lord has done. Verse number 5, For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known unto their children. What's He saying? He's saying, Israel, look back and talk about what the Lord has done for you. And can I say this even to our fathers? We have an assignment from Almighty God. We are to be history teachers. And not just physical history, but spiritual history. Amen. The blessings of God, the miracles of God, the things of God, visual reminders, even inside of our home, even inside of our church, of what the Lord has done, how God has done it, how the Lord has blessed. Listen, when a nation forgets where it comes from, it loses where it's going. You let a family forget what God has done for them, they'll do the same. Let churches forget how God has blessed them, and they'll go the same. And Asaph says, review it, talk about it, listen to it, sing about it, put it on the wall, bring it up at the table, but don't let it be lost in your heart. Review your history. The other night we're sitting around that table or other afternoon. And Brother Brother Sanders is going through miracles. And he's telling me for the first time, he's I don't know, but he's probably told it himself a hundred times. But as he tells it, it's like the first time. Glory to God. And you remember what God did. And you bring it up. I'll never forget years ago, I'm a young man, but Brother Clendenin told me, he said, son, if you don't keep telling those stories about the miracles of God, there will come a day you won't believe it yourself. My God. You, you will look back. Great God of heaven, I feel the Lord in this house. I, I have looked back through some of my journals and just, just some of the things that I had written down from overseas. And I, I remember one night because I just, I just, whatever reason, I forgot about that, Brother George. And I looked back at that and I said, dear mercy, did that really happen? I said, yes, it did. I'm the guy that wrote it down. I was there. All I'm telling you, if you don't tell them stories, tell them babies, let them know. They may have heard it a thousand times. Tell them again how God healed you, how God brought the baby right on time. Hallelujah. Bring it up again that the power of God may be renewed in your heart. 
walk up those stairs and on that wall is a quote from what a preacher said last year. Michael Johnson. And how's God going to benefit from you being here? And it was, it was one of those statements. It was just when he made it, it's like, ooh, ah. You know what we do every time we, we relive that? We think about it. Amen. We bring up monuments in our mind of the goodness of God. Amen. And if a nation forgets the goodness of God, destined to find itself cursed. Oh, God help us. I've heard parents say, well, I'm not going to force my views upon my children. <laughs> don't worry. Somebody else is. Amen. Don't, don't please. Thank you for playing. If you're going to tell me you're not going to force your views upon your children, I promise you there is a school world out there going to force its views upon your children. Hollywood is going to force its views upon your children. Amen. Amen. It may not be directly, it may be indirectly, but subtle as it is, it is putting inside the heart and mind of an innocent generation values and things to lift up and things to tear down. You have a responsibility to put your values in them. I don't, I don't, I don't even believe them when they say, I'm not, I'm not going to put any values in them. I'm going to let them all decide. I'm going to let... We got little ears. How can I say this? We got, we got crazy mom number one and crazy mom number two, right? And so they're, they're, not, they're not even going to tell their child what to do. It's just if he, she picks up the... You know, does a, it, it's, it, and you know the amazing thing? When those kids grow up, they're just as crazy as mom one and two. And then they go, they came to this on their own conclusion. I didn't have a thing to do. You had everything to do with it. You're the one that pushed that upon them. You're the one through every day they saw it. They heard stories little by little and shaped their mind to be just as crooked as the person showing them that way. You have a responsibility to bring up the history of the goodness of the Lord inside of your home. Great God of heaven. When a nation forgets the goodness of God, same thing happens. Again, don't think the human educators aren't going to try to influence them. In fact, let me give you a quote, and this was over 15 years ago. This was a professor of educational psychiatry at Harvard University. Quote, every child in America entering school at the age of five is mentally ill because he comes to school with a certain allegiance toward our founding fathers, toward that child's parents, toward a belief in a supernatural being, toward the sovereignty of his own nation as a separate entity. And it is up to you teachers to make all these sick children well by creating the international child of the future. Don't tell me they're not putting values in. And by the way, I've got time out. I've got a brother that teaches in a public school. I'm not saying there's not good teachers out there. But I'm saying, friend, again, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. Amen. Our faith, our faith is, according to the Bible, it's to go from father to son, and by that I mean child, from father to son, and it doesn't stop there, even to grandchild even to grandchild. We're passing off a baton. 
He goes from father to son to grandson. Why do you say that? Because verse number 6 says that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to who? Their children. Children that ain't even here yet are one day going to have children that need to have the same values as you. On July the 4th, 1776. Actually, it was July the 2nd. Georgia and New York were late in coming, so we waited to July the 4th so they could get there and sign it, huh? July the 4th, 1776. We made a declaration of... We Not only did we make a declaration of independence, can I submit to you this evening, on July the 4th, 1776, we as a nation made a declaration of dependence. That's right. It wasn't just independence. It was dependence. Now, we, were, we, we declared independence from Great Britain. We declared dependence upon God Almighty. Independence from earthly evil powers, but dependence upon my Almighty God. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their Creator. They believed in a creation with certain inalienable rights. They were saying, we want our Constitution to be written in the light of this declaration that we depend upon God. Yes. Somebody said, Happy Independence Day. I said, Oh no, Happy Dependence Day. Right, right. Happy Dependence Day. That's the day we, we declared our dependence on God. Yes. Yes. What a glorious day that was. Every time they shoot one of them fireworks, I say, Thank God we're dependent upon you, God. That's what I'm celebrating. Yeah, I'm glad we're away from I'm glad we're away from Great Britain, sure. Friend, I want to remind you, it's not just what they got away from, it's what they got to. Can I just give you a few quotes tonight just to kind of remind us of our history as a nation? In 1776, James Madison, who was the architect of our Constitution, fourth president, said this, quote, We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and every one to govern ourselves and sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. That's hard to believe, but that's the nation that I'm from. April 30th, George Washington in his inaugurational address said, My fervent supplication is to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the council of nations, and whose providential aid can supply every human defect, that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States. Again, on July the 4th, 1821, John Quincy Adams, quote, The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected and won an insoluble bond, the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. That's where I was from. They don't want to hear that anymore. They don't want to talk about that anymore. You'd be kicked out of class if you brought that up. July the 5th, 1845, President Andrew Jackson said, The Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. By the way, I'm not saying all these men were saints, but I can tell you this, they had enough of the fear of God in them that they knew not to mess with the saints of God. That's right. March 1931, the U.S. Congress adopted the Star-Spangled Banner as the national anthem. I wasn't aware of this, but you realize there's actually four verses. There's one verse that we never sing anymore. 
Because the verse says this, Praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto in God we do trust. 1952, Supreme Court Justice Williams O. Douglas said, We are a religious people and our institutions presuppose a supreme being. Our fathers rightly believed in the separation of church and state. And that is where not to, to have, we were not to have a national denomination, but they never, they never believed in the separation of God in government. How many of our children in public school know those things? Minuscule at best. I don't know why we're in a mess like this, because we have forgotten our God. Every family needs to remember its spiritual history. Every this nation needs to remember its spiritual history. We need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember our roots. Because if you can take away the root, it won't be long before you see a decay in the fruit. Number one, review our history. Number two, renew our memory. It's so easy to forget. You know why they forgot? Can I say this? That they might set their hope in God and forget not the works of God. This is verse number seven. Keep His commandments and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that has not set their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God, and the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God, refused to walk in His law, and forgot, and forgot His works and His wonders that He had showed them. We've got to review our history. We've got to renew our memory. The Bible says, this is a confounding scripture. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. Now, there's a couple of different ways to look at Ephraim here. Sometimes in the Old Testament, Ephraim is a, uh, oh, I don't want to say code word, but just another name for Israel as a whole. The Old Testament prophet, I believe it was Hosea, who said, Israel's, uh, 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 is, in other words, joined unto idols. That's how it says it. It says, join herself unto leave her alone. Let her alone. And it's in reference to all of Israel. But very likely, this is in reference to the tribe of Ephraim. Now understand, there's different sizes in these tribes. Benjamin would be considered a very small tribe. Ephraim was perhaps the very largest tribe. Here, Ephraim is the largest, they're the strongest, and they turn back. Why? Because of spiritual amnesia. You want to know why they turned back and lost? Because they never reviewed their history, they never renewed their memory. You know why churches compromise? They don't review, they don't Renew. The children of Israel, they're armed, they carry bows, they turn back because they have a... There are memory killers that the children of Israel suffered from. And I'm sorry to say, but our nation is too. 
Can I give you just a few of these, what I would define as memory killers? These are just taken from God's Word, so this is... Drop down to verse 17 in Psalm 78. They sin yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And beloved, if you don't think our nation is provoking God, guess again. Oh, God. They tempted, verse 18, they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock and the waters gushed out. The streams overflowed. Well, can He give bread also? Can He provide flesh for the people? What is a memory killer? Mark it down plain, wide and straight. The lust of the flesh is a memory killer. It will give you spiritual amnesia. You allow the lust of the flesh into your life and it will make you forget the goodness of God. Always. It clouds your memory. I can say that, listen, we can argue all day about it, but I am, I absolutely, what does sin do? Sin gives you bad judgment. You'll always have bad judgment when you have sin in your life. There's no other way, there's no other, no other way around that. Friend, they had, and then they had more, and then they provoked God by wanting more and more and more and more. I'm not against you having things, but when things have you, something's wrong. In America today, the person that dies with the most toys evidently wins. I got news for you. You don't win nothing. You lose everything. Rather than thanking God for their blessings, they continually lusted for more. Can I say this about our nations? And I'm praying for our nation. But America is rolling in luxuries. It is reveling in excesses. It is reeling in drunkenness and it is rotting in sin. Say amen. We've got more junk than we can imagine. We've got more storage rooms for our junk than we can compile. Amen. Your, your, grand, your dad, your grandfather, some of you, of course, you've been on the missions field as well. You can, you've looked in the eyes of men. They didn't have two nickels to rub together, but they love God with all their heart. Hallelujah to God, beloved. I don't want things to keep me from my place in heaven. I'm there in Vietnam a couple of weeks ago. I guess it was a month ago now. Brother Moses picks me up. He was a co- Brother Hal from South Florida. He was a pastor there. And that was his contact in Vietnam. I was there back in 2018. I was just there a month ago. And I get talking to, to, to Pastor Moses. And he's, I'm looking at his age. And I'm, I said, so are you born and reared here in Saigon? Of course, I mean, they call it Saigon. It's technically Ho Chi Minh City, but the locals still call it Saigon. He said, no, no, no. I said, well, where, where, where were you reared? He said, Da Nang. And I'm looking at his age, and I'm thinking the location. I said, whoa, that place was under a lot of heavy artillery. And I began to talk to him about it. He said, oh, yes. He said, the Vietnamese, North Vietnamese bombed my village. He said, I'm a boy, maybe 12, 13 years old. He said, and I wake up, and the entire hut I was in was on fire. He said, I was able to escape. Not my mother, not my father, not my brother, not my sister. And he looked, and, and I'm not trying to be graphic or gross. He said, but we couldn't, we couldn't bury them. He said, she liked charcoal. She would charcoal. She liked charcoal. He said, I had no one. He said, but there were some American missionaries close by on the base. 
And he said, they gave me ice cream. He said it was called Farmer's Ice Cream. <laughs> he said ice cream would fall from the sky with parachutes. <laughs> he said those Americans had to be the richest men I knew. <laughs> he said, and they took me in. They cared for me. They gave my heart to God. Here's a kid that has nothing, but he's got everything with God. Everything with the Lord. I didn't, I'll just say this. I didn't mean to get off on this, but now you understand that once, once America withdrew in 1973, there was a little more of a conflict just between the North and the South there. And in 1975, the North took over everything. And friend, the, the human atrocities are off the chart. What they did, and some things he still wouldn't even bring up, how they took him, he said, he told me, he said, he said they put me in prison and First time they did, he said it was for 11 days. And he said, I was scared. I was scared the whole time. Scared from daylight to dark in there. Finally, they let me out and they arrested me shortly after that. But this time it was for 14 days. And he said, Brother Peter, he said, I was scared. I was just, he said, every day people are dying next to me. They, They would lay us right next to each other. And it would be pitch black dark at night. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And early in the morning they would have us working. And there would always be a man with a gun and a bayonet right behind our neck. And if we stopped working, it was over. He said, every day my rations was one cup of water and one cup of rice. And that's what I lived off on. And I was scared the entire time I was there. He said, I was released the second time. And he told me, he said, when I was released the second time, he said, I went from being fearful to being mad at God. He called him Father God, Father God. He said, and I, uh, I cursed Father God. He said, I cursed Father God. I said, I do not want this. He said, I don't, I don't want this life. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to have to go down the road and be afraid. I just want to live a normal life. I want to live a normal life with my wife. I don't want to do this. And he said, I was cursing God and I was so bitter. And number one, he said, I felt conviction. And then number two, I felt mercy. And I went from cursing him to begging him to forgive me. And he said, on my face on the ground, I was begging, please, Father God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me for saying these things. And he said, as I sat there and I poured out my heart unto God Almighty, he said, God baptized me in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) He said, that's what he told me. He He said, I walked out of that room and I found my wife. He called her honey. She's been deceased for years. He said, honey, honey, honey. He said, God baptized me in the Holy Ghost. He said, I Talking the tongue, I talk in the tongue. And she said, she looked at him and said, All these years you told us no talking in the tongue. And now you do it. He said, I looked at her and said, Now I do it. <laughs> and he said, And good thing he did, because right after that, they threw me back in the prison again. This time it wasn't for 11 days. This time it wasn't for 14 days. He said, This time it was for two years and seven months. Every day I lived in that prison. But he smiled at me and he said, No fear, no fear, no fear. Never no fear, no fear. Every day, no fear. God was with me. He gave me power. He gave me power. Hallelujah. There's a God that'll keep us if we remember his promise. Hallelujah to God. Glory to God. He said said there was a colonel, a North Vietnamese Viet Cong colonel. They got through in that prison as well, right beside him. They found out he'd been accepting bribes and letting South Vietnamese escape. So they threw him in that prison. And he's, he's, he's trying to think of the word in English. He said, no, he no sleep. He's like, do you no sleep? 
I said, you mean insomnia? He said, oh, yes, that's it. He said, that colonel has insomnia. He can't sleep. And he said, I look at the colonel and I tell him, you need Jesus. You call on Jesus. And he said, I heard the colonel when he began to pray. He said, oh, God, I don't know you. But if you're real, you know that I've put a lot of your people in this prison. Number one, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to change me. He said, I ask you to let me go to sleep tonight. And he said, I saw that colonel lay down right beside me. And he slept all night. And the next morning he got up, put his hands together, and called on the name of the one true living God. My God. Hallelujah to God. I think I'll just tell the story. Hallelujah. I think I'll just talk of his goodness. I think I'll just remember the mercy of him. I think I'll remember how there's a God that'll go with you into the prison and'll be with you when you come out and'll give you power and strength. I think I'll just rehearse the goodness of the Lord in my mind, in my heart, in my mouth. Somebody lift your hands and give him praise in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. The lust of the flesh is a memory killer for the spirit. The lure of the world is a memory killer for the spirit. Verses 40, 41, and 42, let me read these please. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel, how do you do that? They remember not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. They remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. Not only did they break God's law, they broke God's heart because they quit remembering what He'd done for them. I hope I'm not boring you tonight. What Canaanites could not do, what Jebusites could not do, what Perizzites could not do, the children of Israel limited the limitless God. It's a paradox. Friend, God's not limited by what's out there. What limits God is unbelief in here. What limits God is when God's people that claim to know Him forget His goodness. He ceases to work as He would amongst His own. Let me move on quickly, and I'm coming to a close. Not only the lust of the flesh, not only the lure of the world, but the lies of the devil. Verse 58, They provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. They forgot God. What did we say happens when you leave God? Wickedness always ensues. There's no empty spots. It's always like this. There's no vacuum. You let God out of the picture. Wickedness always follows right in its steps. Peter Jones, he wrote a book, The Gnostic Empire Strikes Back. He had some very interesting questions. And this was written years ago. I just found these questions interesting from a man. It seems as if he could see where we are today. <clears throat> in that book he wrote, Have you ever asked yourself any of the following questions? Why is homosexuality on the rise with great moral fervor in the name of democracy? Why is feminism such a powerful force today? 
Why is feminist spirituality making inroads into Christianity? Why is abortion a vitally important part of the feminist manifesto? Is ecology just a nature concern about the environment? Or does it have a religious agenda too? Why does the work ethic no longer work? Why is multiculturalism and political correctness so important on so many college campuses? Are all these seemingly disconnected issues in the way related to the so-called New Age movement? Why are numerous New Age techniques for healing, peace of mind, self-knowledge being publicized so vigorously in the media and more and more utilized in the business world and the armed forces? The real question is, are these apparent disconnected issues really a part of a coherent pagan ideology posed to impose its religious belief system in a new world order. In the last days, they'll be treacherous. It was Thomas, excuse me, Robert Thomas Ketchum, and he wrote in a book, The Death Hymn of Christ, in 1966, the book was published. I wrote down one of his quotes, and I thought this was interesting. Now, it took me a while to understand what he was saying when I first read it, so it was kind of one of those statements you just ponder for a moment. But he said this, Satan's master plan is to achieve in this world the best possible conditions that can be obtained apart from God. It's an interesting thought. Whatever, whatever the best you can do, so long as you leave God out, that's what we'll do. What's, what's the best possible alternative apart from God? Don't bring God into the picture. What's the best? Friend, every new government program is a testimony to what that man just said. Amen. It's man's best effort apart from God. Amen. God has so designed man that there is no plan B. You read in the book of Judges, when every man does that which is right in his own eyes, it is still chaos. Sure. You, now, this is not Old Testament theology class, but when you read that, that book, that is historical narrative. So it's this historicity of Israel, and it's cyclical. In other words, there's these cycles. You, you, you know the story. Amen. They cry out to God. There's a deliverance. The judge dies. They fall into sin. They go into bondage. They cry out to God. God brings a deliverer, da, 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 over and over. Da. And it's just like that. But at the end of it, there's like this, there's this double epilogue, okay? And there's this really weird story about a guy who kills, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to get all detail, but you know the story that, and then there's this other really weird story about a guy that basically becomes a preacher for hire. And as you're reading it, you're going, man, that don't make sense. Guess what? That's the moral of the story. Yes. The writer wants you to read that and go, that's bananas. Because that's what happens to a nation when they look for plan B outside of God. That's the whole point of this. It says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And it's these two stories, and you read it, and you go, this is wacko from day one. I've got a dear friend. He's a young man. He's a good young man. He's over there on the East Coast. We're preaching there in Northeast Maryland, and he's not actually from there. He just he come up for the revival, and he's, he's, he's a brainiac of a guy, but he's a, like a part-time, I think, substitute teacher as well. And he said, I teach public school in a very conservative district here in Maryland. And I cannot even remember the amount of students. And it was high. And I don't, I don't want to mess it up because, you know, fact, fact check this, whatever. But I'm, whatever it was, it was a high number of students that identified as animals. And I'm not making this stuff up. And he said, you want to know the brightest minds came together and this 
is their solution. I'm not make, put a litter box in the room. Let me tell you something. That's man's best effort apart from God. That foolishness Amen. is man's best. That's the best they can come up with. Right, that's right. the best. That's the brightest minds. You know, the child of God, the child of God says, well, that's a spiritual thing. That needs to be cast out in the name of Jesus. There's something wrong with that. That needs to be bound and there needs to be freedom. Uh, now here's man. He doesn't have God. He doesn't remember God. He's never reviewed his history. He's never, amen. He's never renewed that memory. And so he says, I can do this on my own. I can come up with something. Friend, it's foolishness. It yes. may be right in his own eyes, but it leads to death. Yes. And that's where we are as a nation. Hey, I'm not saying those politicians aren't doing the best that they can. But build back better has a little deeper meaning than what we really want to admit. <laughs> Tear it all down. And I'll build it back away from God. Break everything to the foundation. And when I build it the way I want to build it, it'll be a tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. Every man speaking his own language. God comes down, disrupts that. Every man speaks his own language. And oh, by the way, now the building stopped because they're all going to... By the way, our modern day computer, our modern day artificial intelligence has broken that curse. Every man can speak that same language. He's going to try to build another tower of Babel himself. No <laughs> It started with the sin of man. It's going to end with the man of sin. I'm going to get into that later. That's not my message tonight. I'm trying to close. Number one, we need to review. Number two, we need to renew. Lastly, we need to reclaim. Sister Estes, please help me tonight. Verses 59, 60, and 61. When God heard this, He was wroth, and He greatly abhorred Israel. I don't even like to say this, but it's possible so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh and the tent which he placed among men and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. Friend, America may become a molded crust in the world's trash can. We are not promised a place in the millennium. Somebody said, man, God's our only hope. I said, yeah, you're right. But guess what? God's also our biggest threat. There comes a place where God says, I'll pull my hand away. I'll let the enemy take over. And the nation that was born in the 1700s needs to be born again in the 21st century. Say amen. So I ask you, what about the generation to come? What about the America of tomorrow? What about these last days that we're living in? In the last days will be systematically, unashamedly, unabashedly, ashamedly, treasonous. But as for me and as for my family, we're going to review. We're going to renew. We're going to reclaim. I said, we're going to review. We're going to renew. We're going to reclaim.
I'm not saying you got to walk around and shove some American flag in everybody's face. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about for the world that I have control over, for the influence that I have control. I'm going to review the goodness of God in this land. I'm going to review how good God's been to our people. I'm going to review how God has done miraculous things. And when we shouldn't have been, He breathed upon us and we became. And He did that so that we could become a light to this entire world. But now we've sent out light missionaries across this world. Now they're sending missionaries to America because they say, you're the ones that taught us, but you no longer live this. And friend, can I tell you, if there ever was a time that our nation needed revival, it is now. It is now. We will teach our children what the world has denied them to know. We will instill the principles of love and fear of God. And we, being armed with bow, will not turn back like the children of Ephraim. For we will remember the goodness of the Lord. Stand with me all over this house, please. Paul looks down the portal of time and he says, in the last days, they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power. In the last days, you're going to look around and you're going to see a world where man is absolutely selfish. In the last days, you're going to wake up in a world and say, what happened? Things that we once put trust in, it's shattered and gone. Friend, don't let that put you in dismay. Let that remind you that Jesus is coming soon. You be faithful unto the end. You share the goodness of God with your loved ones and your family to the end. And no matter how treacherous this nation becomes, I give you no guarantees for 2024. I do not know what would happen if we're still even here. You remind your babies the goodness of God, the grace of God. Father, I'm asking you to help us, help us as individual families. God, help the men of this church, God. God, the heavy load that they must have to renew.